Good evening. I give honor to our great and worthy God who is alone deserving of praise and I magnify Him, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one eternal God. I'm grateful once again to be with you, thankful for the privilege that's been mine to be here today once again at Spring Lake Baptist Church and to be able to fellowship again with God's people here and as well to see some others. I appreciate Brother Glenn Barry, our dear friend of about three years now, I think when we first met and uh, this month actually. And uh, God has given me a blessing in His friendship and fellowship in the Gospel and appreciate Him and glad for these from Gospel Pastor Ken Goins and dear brother Deacon Junior Basham and Sister Clara Barber, she and her husband, dear friends of ours from years past, as well as Brother Junior and his wife, uh, Sister Ruby, she's not able to be here because she had some eye surgery this past week, I believe it was, this past Monday, and thankful she's progressing well, but uh, we trust the Lord to continue to bring her along. Appreciate Preacher Ken Goins, a beloved brother. He's uh, a humble man, but he's also a man who... Uh, I told Terry this after we talked yesterday on the phone. He's an honest man. You know, a lot of preachers like to sugarcoat things. You know, we kind of put on front, you know what I'm saying? And uh, Brother Ken, I found him to be very honest in heart. And I appreciate that. It's a breath of fresh air to my soul because... (laughs) I bet some preachers, I wish I had a pen that I could stick in them, but I don't think it'd puncture deep enough. <laughs> Y'all pardon me on that. That was free. But I think, Brother Paul, you probably know what I'm talking about as long as you've been inactive in ministry. But I just appreciate you, brother. Praying for you in this trial that you're facing right now, you and the family. And appreciate God's goodness to you and preserving you and all the family. It's been a blessing to hear of how God just kept stirring Sister Kelly so she couldn't sleep through the night and she's the one who discovered the fire and alarmed the family so they could get out so we are grateful and thankful I want to invite you tonight to turn with me to the gospel according to Luke this evening and we'll be looking in uh, two other passages uh, along with this portion in John chapters 11 and 12 but we'd like to start tonight in these words of Luke chapter 10 that in this chapter you would please notice with me as we read together verses 38 through 42 of the 10th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, For some this will be a familiar portion because it speaks of uh, someone who dearly loved the Lord Jesus and I believe gives to us a great picture of what that love involves. By way of a title this evening I'd like to give you this, Look for Me at Jesus' Feet. And the woman whom we want to think about tonight was marked by that kind of attitude of heart toward our Savior. And I want us to think about her, the woman Mary, the sister of Lazarus, as well as the sister of Martha. And let's read together, beginning at verse 38, read through to verse 42, and our copies of God's Word, if you follow along silently, carefully as I read that aloud. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Trust our God will add His blessing this evening to the reading of His Word as we think together about these things as well as some other things from John's Gospel and considering this dear lady that appears here in the Gospel account of our Lord Jesus' life. May we just join together in prayer. Father, we ask You now to grant Your blessing to Your Word as we look to it. How we thank You, Father, for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that You've given to us in the Gospels. Father, how He is the subject of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Father, the the master theme of the Bible, we bless You. Father, as we look at this portion tonight and as well consider some other portions from John's Gospel, we ask Thy blessing on us. Father, I pray You'd use me. And Lord, I pray You'd speak to me. I long for You to speak to my brothers and sisters gathered here. But Lord, I long for something from my heart too. And I pray that each of us would benefit by the time we spend together around your written word, your inspired and preserved word of truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, again, by way of a title I've given, you look for me at Jesus' feet. And that's not original with me, actually. Uh, Brother Squire Parsons, whose songs I have appreciated over the years when I pastored up in Pennsylvania there at Westside Baptist Church 90-95. We had the privilege of having Brother Squire with us. Brother Doom had been with us in Missions Conference, the same one in which Brother Paul was as well ministering. And uh, Brother Doom had told us, well, if you'd like to have him, I can get his number for you. He lives over there in Leicester near Arden where Brother Doom is. And he said, I'll get his number and you can call Sister Lindell. Be glad to set him up. That's his wife. She's his booking agent. He doesn't have a big expensive uh, ministry. He just does what he does for the glory of God. Well, anyway, he was with us and I've enjoyed the music of Brother Squire. And one of his songs, you may recall, is Look for Me at Jesus' Feet. It speaks about the glories and splendors of heaven. But as it speaks about that, it says, Don't look neath the gates of uh, the gate walls of, walls of Jasper. Don't look neath the gate neath the gates of pearl. Let me tell you where I'll be. Look for me at Jesus' feet. I want to be found there by the grace of God. But you know, one of the best ways to know I'll be found there then is to be found there now. And that's what we see about this woman Mary as we see her life recorded for us in the Gospels. We see that she was a woman who was characterized by being found at Jesus' feet. We see it first here in Luke chapter 10. And I want us to consider this together. uh, First of all, against the background of the Word, if you will. And I would say we see here discipleship in view on the part of Mary. As we find the details, as Dr. Luke, by inspiration of God's Spirit, records them, he tells of how our Lord, he, He doesn't give us some of the details relative to specifics. He doesn't mention it's Bethany. We find that out in John's Gospel. But he mentions in verse 38 how our Lord, as they went, came, He entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received Him into her house. Doesn't mention Lazarus, her brother, in this account in Luke 10. But He mentions the two sisters, Martha. And I believe the Spirit of God does that in a definite way in order to contrast the two. And uh, to present to us a picture of how Mary was one who, not only being found at the Lord Jesus' feet, she wanted in doing that to drink in His Word 
and to have the heart that a disciple needs to have. And, you know, we think about discipleship, and a lot of times, discipleship is equated with just being a disciple as being a learner. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's much more than that. Being a disciple is not only being a learner, but it's being a follower. It's wanting to take the one from whom we learn as our example, as our model, as our pattern. And that's what the Lord Jesus becomes to those who are His disciples. We're not just learning facts. We're not just learning material. We're not just like someone who sits in a class. No, the one who is our instructor, if you will, the one who is our teacher and master has become our Lord as well. And we want that Word to shape us. We want that Word to become that which molds us into the image of the Lord Jesus Himself. And so it is that Mary presents that spirit. We see it evidenced in her. And I like the way it unfolds. Uh, I don't mind Martha's. I have to say that. I don't mind Martha's. I appreciate you ladies being Martha's this afternoon because I'm still belching, believe it or not. I'm trying not to... uh, I'm not trying not to let out any during the message, but if I do, it's your fault, ladies. But I appreciate Martha's. I'm glad for the ministry they have. I'm glad for mothers and wives who are faithful in regard to meeting the needs of homes and meeting the needs of families. And where would we be without godly women? And yet, when we become preoccupied with the stuff, when we allow ourselves to become fixated and focused on the stuff of this life to the neglect of what really matters, that's when being a Martha becomes an issue that we need to think about. And by the way, ladies, it's not just Marthas that have that problem. There's some Mitchells, if you will, if we want an M name. There's some men who have that issue. We allow ourselves to become occupied with the world to the point that in being occupied with it, we forget what our Lord says clearly here to Martha. And I think He says it so lovingly to her. There's a rebuke here in His words, but in that rebuke, it's interesting that there is a, there's a spirit that is very loving, very courteous, in which He handles Martha, even the way He calls her by name in verse 41. It says, Martha, Martha. I see the tenderness of the Lord Jesus Christ there. I see the one who could say about Himself in Matthew 11 when He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. And that's the attitude of the Savior here toward her. But, but as, as we see what Dr. Luke records in verse 39, as Martha receives our Lord, welcomes Him into her house, and we have to remember that in the light of what's happening, and we'll say more about it in a moment, when she received Jesus, she didn't get just Jesus, did she? Because there are at least twelve with Him. His disciples... So when she welcomes Him and shows hospitality to Him, she's welcoming at least 13. You know, it'd be kind of like people welcoming me in my younger days when Terry and I had the brood we did, the, the six uh, with us that had the picture made here back in 2003, October of 2003. I was telling them that I found the disc uh, 
uh, back this past Friday, and uh, it had a Morris family on it. And when I plugged it in, I showed it to the family. I was thinking it's from Pennsylvania, but Stephen recognized it. Dad, that was at Spring Lake Baptist in in uh, Burlington. And, picture of all six of us. And, you know, that was one of the things. I think some people sometimes when we were at places where churches would show us hospitality, I think some people backed off a little because they knew they weren't going to get just me. They were going to get seven others, not just Terry and me, but they are going to have six children, you know. We had some brave, hearty souls who did it, thank God. And many of you were ones who did it. We blessed the Lord for that. But, but that's the thing. Here Martha has that heart of hospitality that extends itself to the Lord and also to the twelve. And there may have been others besides. And yet, Dr. Luke also mentions that sister in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word. There was the focus that was on Mary's heart. She wanted to drink in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was her focus. And again, we we don't want to find fault with Martha altogether, but when she came to the point of neglecting the Word because of her hospitality, she had missed the fact of who was in the presence, who was in her home. This was none other than the Lord of life Himself. This was none other than the One who was the Father's eternal Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who had come down from heaven by a virgin womb to be born as a man for our salvation, for our forgiveness. And He had brought with Him wonderful words of life. That's a great hymn, by the way. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. And that's where Mary's heart was. She wanted, as it were, catch every word, not miss a syllable of the Lord Jesus' words. So she sat at His feet, and she hung, it seems, upon His words as she heard them. Now that phrase that's used there in verse 39 by Dr. Luke, I believe we could see some other places in Scripture where it rounds out that idea of discipleship. If you would go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, please, for just a moment. And notice in Deuteronomy chapter 33, some words that we find as Moses blessed the tribes of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 33, toward the end of the the books of Moses there, uh, right before the the last chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, that speaks of Moses' death. In chapter 33, before his death, Moses blessed the tribes of Israel. Let's just notice there, beginning at verse 1, the words that we read down through to verse 4. In verse 1 we read in chapter 33, And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and He came with ten thousands of saints. From His right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, He loved the people. All His saints are in Thy hand, and they sat down at Thy feet. Every one shall receive of Thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. Now here are these words as they 
introduced the blessings that Moses gave to the tribes, these words speak of a reality that was evident. Moses, who had met God at Sinai, remember, keeping the flock of his father Jethro. And while he was there, he saw that bush that was burning, but not burned up. And he had to, with curiosity, turn aside to see it. And as he saw it, God spoke to him with His commission. Later he told Moses, these people will come and worship me in this place. And that's where they did worship Him. Sinai was ablaze with the glory of God when God gave the law to His people. And that's what verse 2 has in mind there in Deuteronomy 33. And as Moses is there giving the Word to God's people, we have that statement... Yea, He loved the people. Verse 3, that's a reference to the Lord. And then it says, All His saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. Now what's interesting is, the His seems to refer to the Lord in verses 2 and 3. So the thy, a reference to your, singular, it seems may be a reference to Moses. Now I wouldn't deny that it includes the Lord, but the idea is as God who loved His people gave Him His Word, they were His saints, those saints were given over to Moses so that Moses might do what? Instruct and teach them in the things of the Lord. And so it was, they sat down at His feet. They became disciples of Moses Hearing His Word. Now, again, I have no problem with seeing the thy there as being the Lord too. Because they were ultimately in learning the Word from Moses, they were to become disciples of the living God. And sadly, that didn't translate like it should have for Israel. Because again and again in Numbers, they rebelled against His Word. They, they would not. They, they fought against Moses. They fought against Aaron. There was a spirit of rebellion, sadly, that marked them. And Moses told them in Deuteronomy, the Lord is not not circumcised your heart so that you might hear His Word. There was that attitude because God's grace had not worked inwardly in them. But they were still to sit at the feet. Why? To hear the Word and learn it. You see, brothers and sisters, that is an important thing. And I, I have to tell you, as a preacher, I love this book. But I'll tell you this, I don't love it like I should. I love His Word, but I don't love His Word like I should. Because my mind should be doing what Psalm 1 says all the time. And sometimes, you know what? I get kind of Martha-esque, if you will. And I let this world crowd in when I know I've got to get some attention to the world. There's no question. There are issues of health that arise we have to deal with, Brother Earl, right? There are things that we have to do. Gail's going to be facing that. I'm not discounting those realities. But so often the world has a way of stealing in on us. And as it does that, it insinuates and inserts itself where it doesn't really need to be. And so we need to have that heart that wants to sit at His feet and hear His Word. And that's what we see here in the case of the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. But if you would, let me give you another reference where Paul refers to himself in relation to his life as he speaks to the Jews in Acts chapter 22. As they were trying to kill him. 
and a Roman guard came and delivered him from that uh, certain death that he was going to have at the hands of the Jews if they had not intervened. Paul wanted to give a little defense to them. They're on the steps of the fortress Antonia, which was right alongside the temple there. The fortress was where the garrison of, of the Roman soldiers were stationed there in Jerusalem, close to the temple, because oftentimes that's where things would happen in, in the city. And as Paul is giving a little bit of background, speaking in Hebrew to the crowd there, and when they hear him speak in Hebrew, they quiet down a little more. Because they realized, hey, he's really one of us. They were going to kill him because they thought he was somehow given over to the Gentiles. But he knew how to speak their language. And as he does that, he says this in verse 3 of Acts 22. I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Notice those words in Acts 22.3. I was brought up in this city, and I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the teachers. Remember, he's mentioned back in Acts 5 when they're deciding what to do about the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. And they want to they really extinguish the apostles. And Gamaliel says, you better not fight against them. If this thing is of God, you're not going to stop them. So they take Gamela's advice somewhat. They try. They still beat them, send them out. But they take Gamela's advice overall. Don't put them to death. Gamaliel was a leading rabbi among the Jews. And here Paul, as he speaks of him, says, I was brought up at his feet. In other words, I was a disciple of Gamaliel. I had, and among the Jews, that's what they would often do. If a man had the leisure and liberty, he would choose the rabbi under which he wanted to sit. And he would become a disciple to that man. Now in the case of the Lord Jesus with His disciples, He called them. He said, follow me. And Matthew left his receipt of custom. He said, follow me. And Peter and Andrew left their nets. He said, follow me. And John and James left their nets. And it was a call of grace that intervened effectually in their lives that brought them. But here we find Mary, much like those disciples of our Lord, and she's sitting at His feet in Luke chapter 10. Now, as we reflect on that, let's go back to Luke 10 and pick up again at what we find in the way of the contrast in verses 40 through 42 of that chapter. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Seems like a fair request, doesn't it? But some believe that this incident actually happened during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, during that time, they set up booths. Now, I can't confirm this, so that's why I'm telling you some people think this. I, I, I hope it's sanctified speculation, but it's not there in the Scriptures, so that, that makes it... But uh, during that time, it was a time of high hospitality for the, for the Jews. You know, kind of like, I guess, our holidays. Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you know how women are? Well, pardon me... <laughs> That kind of sounds a little bit... But you know how they want everything in place. I mean, at least that's what my wife tells me, you know. When she wants things done around the house, she, but David, that's how we are, you know. She's shaking her head now with a stiff lip too. I think. Uh, 
Now she's smiling, thank God. Uh, but, but you know, you want everything right. You know, you want the details good. You want the you don't want the turkey burn, and you don't want the dressing to, to get too crispy, and you don't want it too soggy either. You know, everything just just right. Well, Martha's aiming at that, and, and in a way, there's not anything wrong with that. But when you become so preoccupied with it that you forget the Lord of glory is seated in your home. And you need to be drinking in His Word. Sometimes the details of this life have a way of stealing in on us the same way, don't they? And we forget what really matters. And I love, as Martha implored the Lord to do this, I love how the Lord Jesus answered her. Again, I said, it's a rebuke, but it's so loving and so gentle. Notice verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. And then He talks about the one thing. Verse 42, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You want me to get her to help you. But Mary has a view of things, Martha, that I, I want you to realize. That one thing is really what matters in life. And that is being under my Word and drinking in the words of life. Keep your place in Luke 10, but go back with me please to something David said in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, we read uh, David speaking about some of the trials of life that beset him. And he speaks of how the wicked, his enemies and foes came against him. And as he does that, he speaks of the Lord being his light, his salvation, the strength of his life, and there's no need for fear. But in the midst of that, at verse 4 he says this, notice in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Did you hear that? But David, you've got enemies that are seeking your life. That's right. You've got a host that's rising against you. You've got the Philistines. I don't know when this was written. It may have been when Saul and his, his army, the 3,000 chosen men of Israel, had come down to the hill. And Halakoth, and they, they were besieging David and trying to find him. And David's within, a, a it seems, a, a hairbreadth of death. I don't know exactly when it was, but he's got enemies that are wanting to snuff out his life. David, what's on your mind? Verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all 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 the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David, what do you want to do? Well, let me tell you, I've met the living God and there is a beauty about this great God that I can't describe. But I know this, I want to behold Him and His beauty. Now think about that. A lot of times we think of God different ways, don't we? Loving, merciful, kind, true, gracious, long-suffering, just, righteous, holy. But a lot of times we don't think about Him as beautiful, do we? And yet, look at all the beauty around us. And what does that tell us? 
If you will, that tells me He is the most beautiful of everything that is. And David said, one thing I've desired. I want to dwell in His house so that I can gaze on His beauty and behold something of who He is. Now, sometimes, as you know, when you're in this world, you'll, you'll come across something. I, I had the privilege with Terry the other week of going up to Pennsylvania. And we went by way of the Shenandoah. And when I drive up I-81 going up through the Shenandoah, it always captures my heart. Because there's beauty, those rolling hills, the way they've been deformed and developed, and then the caverns on the side and the ridges on, it just takes my heart. I look at it and I think, wow, and like we used to say in the 70s, I say it backwards, wow, you know. (laughs) It's like that, it's breathtaking. And there are sites throughout the world like this. On my screensaver, I guess you'd call it, or background on my computer, uh, Google brings up pictures. And I had to show one to the family this past week. It was from somewhere down in uh, Los Lagos, I think they called it. I believe it was in Chile. But there's a lake right here, but then there's a snow-capped mountain behind it and clouds in between it. And I look at it, and again I say, wow, and I say it backwards, wow. But brothers and sisters, who's the maker of all that beauty? And let me tell you, it's the one who makes those things that beautiful is, and He is, then He's more beautiful than them all. And we need to behold His beauty. And I believe that was Martha's heart. Here she had met this Savior. Here she had met this Lord. And her heart had been seized. Her heart had been captured. Her heart had now been engaged to realize that nothing else really matters if I don't have Him. And if I don't sit with Him and sit at His feet and drink in His Word. And as that happens, the Lord Jesus says to Martha, as it were, a gentle rebuke, Martha, I don't want you to miss this beer. I want you to get in on what Mary's got in. I'm thankful for the meal, Martha. But you're too distracted. Come and sit with Mary. Come and enjoy my Word. Come and drink in the sweetness and the beauty and the savor of what is really life. And so it is that Mary is there having that which will not be taken away from her. And brothers and sisters, I believe as you and I purpose to sit at the feet of our Lord Jesus by faith, by His grace, I believe that will not be taken away. Now I believe we can exchange it for lesser things, but I don't believe if we're there at His feet, I don't believe it's going to be taken away. And that is what our Lord said here. Well, let's move on because we've got a couple of more things to cover. So if you would, go over with me to John chapter 11, please. Uh, By the way, that one thing is the attitude I think Paul had in Philippians 3 when he said, forgetting those things which are behind, this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's where Mary was. Turn with me now to John chapter 11, please, as we've seen the word and discipleship. Now, if we may, let's notice witness, the witness that Mary gives, and as well, the reality of death that is upon them. In chapter 11, some of you recall John's Gospel that 
Martha and Mary have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And you remember our Lord's response. He waits two days in the place where He was after getting the message. And then tells His disciples, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. And they say, well, Lord, if he sleepeth, he must be doing better. He said, no, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you can behold the glory of God. I like the way the hymn writer talked about it. So not hymn writer, really. It's a gospel song. But it's, who knows, it might become a hymn later on. Y'all may have heard it. But it's, it's a great song to me based on John 11. It says about our Lord, He may be four days late, but He's always on time. And that's the truth. You see, His ways are perfect, as the song says. His providence is perfect. His timing is perfect. Hallelujah. Oh, I know sometimes we want Him on a rush job, but He won't be hurried. Because He knows what He's doing, thank God. And because He knows what He's doing, He's going to be, as the black chorus says, the spiritual, He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. Job said He may not come when you want Him to, but He'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. And that's when He showed up in Bethany. Right on time. You remember the response of Martha later. Been dead four days, he stinketh. Roll away the stone. Said, I not unto thee, if thou believe, thou see the glory of God. But let's look at where Mary figures into the picture. Martha's already greeted our Lord, and if you would, in John 11, pick up at verse 28. And when she, that is Martha, had so said, that is, Lord, I know that you are the Christ, the Son of God. When she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she, that is, Mary, heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth into the, unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet, saying unto Him, Lord, if Thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, He groaned in the Spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid Him? They said unto Him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how He loved Him. There we have a little bit of the testimony that marked Martha and Mary. Martha, of course, had said the same thing as she met her Lord. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. And our Lord, remember, told her, Thy brother shall live again. And she said, I know he'll live again in the resurrection. And that's when Jesus said those words of verse 25 of John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What great words they were that speak of Jesus. I misquoted them a little. Pardon me. You can read them for real in verse 25 and verse 26. He that believeth in me, though we were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Words our Lord spoke. And Martha, as John, our Lord asked her, John records the Lord's question. Believest thou this? She said, Lord, I believe. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And as she confessed Him, she sent word to her sister, Mary, the Master's calling for you. 
Mary, the Master wants to see you. Mary gets up immediately. She goes to see Him. And once again, as she comes into His presence, we find her at His feet. And this time, I believe the words are witness. The witness that she gives is like that of Martha, but I think more intense. Now, one thing I failed to mention back in Luke 10, meant to point it out, but I guess I got a little excited. I'm sorry. In Luke chapter 9, the Lord Jesus had reached the watershed in His public ministry. He had been showing the miracles that pointed to who He was as God's Messiah. They attested to the fact that He was indeed the Anointed One of God by the healings that He did, raising the dead, healing the, the blind and the deaf, the mute, and, 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 and cleansing the land. All of those things pointed to who He was. And, and yet Israel as a people had rejected His testimony. And He began in Luke 9 to talk to His disciples after the transfiguration by the way, at the transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared with him, it says they spake with him about his decease which he would accomplish in Jerusalem. The Greek word is exodus. It's translated decease in our King James. We know what decease is. That's death. But for the Lord Jesus, it was an exodus. Not only for him, but for us. An exodus. It was our way out. Our way out of the Egypt of this world. Through life, through his blood. They were talking about that. They were talking about his decease, which would he would accomplish in Jerusalem. Now let me ask you, when was the last time you picked up the paper, looked in the obituary section, and it said, so and so accomplished his decease? They don't write that, do they? But oh, when Jesus died, he was going to accomplish his decease. Because no man was taking his life from him. He was laying it down of himself. And if he laid it down of himself, as John 10, 18 says, he could take it up again. And that's what he did. His death was an accomplishment for life. The redemption of a multitude of sinners that no man can number from every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and race. Hallelujah. Yeah, black lives matter. Jesus proved it by dying for them. But He proved that white lives matter because He died for some of them. Hallelujah. He died for yellow. You you name them. Every kindred, tribe, tongue, and people, one day in the presence of the Lamb, they're going to be there saying, Thou hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. One day, the whole multitude of the redeemed. And that's why He accomplished His decease. And He begins to talk about that death. You know when He got to Luke 10? There at Bethany, in Martha's home, Lazarus' home, Mary's home, you know what I think he's talking about? I think he's talking about those realities of death. And Mary started drinking in the truth that Messiah was going to die. So many Jews did not see it. They expected a conquering king. He's going to come, is that? Yes. But they did not understand he would also be a suffering servant, as we saw this morning in Isaiah 53. And because of that, Mary now is hearing His teaching. And she's drinking that in. And realizing the work of Messiah, that He's going to take the place of sinners at the cross. He's going to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. As the old Gospel chorus says it so well, He paid a debt He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. 
And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And I think it's fitting together for Mary. And she's realizing as the Spirit of God through the ministry of the teaching of the Lord Jesus is instructing her, the Spirit of God making real to her the fact that she's one of those sinners who needs that Savior, who needs that Messiah. And now she comes to Him having learned that as He's again in Bethany, this time at their request because Lazarus was sick. Now as she's there in His presence in that witness that she gives to Him she recognizes that He who will die for sinners is greater than death itself. And that's the good news. Because you see, what He told His disciples in Luke 9 is not only that the Son of Man must be rejected of the chief priests and scribes and elders, not just put to death, what else did He say? And rise again. You see, we bless the Lord for His death, but we also are grateful for His resurrection. And she was learning that. So she realizes as she bows at His feet and says, if thou had been here, my brother would not have died. As she says that, she realizes that He is the one who is indeed the resurrection life. He doesn't say that to her like He did to Martha. He tells Martha because Martha says, and when He says, thy brother shall live again, she says, I know, Lord, I know at the resurrection of the last day He's going to rise again. And that's when Jesus said, I am the resurrection of the life. And I believe for Mary, may I say it, and again, you don't have to accept this. This may be some speculation on David Morris' part. But I believe he didn't say it to Mary. Because Mary already knew it. Mary already knew that the one at whose feet she's bowing is the resurrection of life. So she knows that whatever he asks of the Father, the Father's going to do it. And that's what happens, by the way. He stands in that graveside and He says, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hearest me always. And He says, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. He that was dead came forth. I like what I, I think it might have been Johnny Cash, but it just say, I think it goes back to Augustine. Johnny didn't start it off. but <laughs> I think I heard it from him now, but that might be wrong, so don't quote me for sure. But Augustine years ago said, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because he would have just said, come forth, every, everybody in that, in that uh, cave would have come forth that had been buried there. He sealed Lazarus out and said, come forth, and that's what happened. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. How did he come out in those grave clothes? Same way he got up from the dead. It took a miracle of grace. It took a miracle of God's sovereign power. That's what brought him out. He came out. He said, Lord, it's another sermon, but three commands of Christ. First, roll away the stone. Get what's in the way out of the way. Second command, only he could speak. Lazarus, come forth. The third one, he says, loosen and let him go. By the way, I've been raised. He's told me, come forth. Hallelujah. Spiritual resurrection that Ephesians 2 speaks of. But every now and again, you might see some grave clothes on me. I've been trying to get them off for over 40 years. But I've still got some on me. This, this September will be so 47 years since the Lord saved me. But Brother Paul, I'm afraid I've still got some grave clothes. But God's people help me get them off. That's what we're told, to help one another loosen and let them go. Amen. 
take off the grave clothes. And Mary, falling at his feet in witness, knew that he was the Lord of life, but hallelujah, he's also the Lord of death. And that's what we rejoice in. Terry and I, this week and last week, have heard about a slew of funerals. Last Sunday night we were at one in a service where her cousin, a dear brother, Bill Avery, had passed. Great, great testimony to the Lord in that service. I was at one Saturday, the day before, Brother Jim Plythe, who used to come to a church in Raleigh where I preached, he passed away. Great service, testimony to the Lord. Went to one of our son Seth's, his girlfriend's grandmother, Wednesday morning with Seth. He came down from Boone. We went. Just got news today of a hundred-year-old man over in Harmony. Went to be with the Lord. Taken ill this morning, his caregiver, his niece, preacher's wife, and her son were at his side as he passed. Preacher had to run down to Bruce Creek to preach. I've heard about so many deaths this week and funerals, and there's others besides that. Sister Chris Finnegan, some of y'all know of Brother Bill Finnegan. She's passed on and with the Lord now. I should have mentioned that, but my mind's saddled. But uh, it just seems like there's a slew of death. It's all around us, isn't it? The COVID thing, so many deaths from that. But brothers and sisters, I'm glad to report that death doesn't have the final say. Death doesn't have the last word. And as the book was written, death be not proud. Thank God we can tell death. Don't be proud. Because there's someone who's going to destroy the last enemy. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ, as Mary bows at His feet, Lord, if you've been here, my brother not died. As he, she bows at his feet, she recognizes him in testimony and witness. You're the Lord of life, and you're the Lord of death. You're the resurrection. Hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, he crushes Satan's head according to Genesis 3.15. And may I add to it, he's going to crush death's head too. Death's going to be crushed beneath his feet. Indeed, it already has been by Him who is the resurrection and the life. The words of Psalm 24, we can say, Lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. Why? That the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. The Lord strong and mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. And He's triumphed through His cross. He's triumphed through His resurrection. And Mary, against the background of what she had drunk in, in that first meeting, now in witness, declares that here. But then one final one quickly in John chapter 12, brothers and sisters, as we turn over to the next chapter after chapter 11. Notice with me the, please that begin, the, the words that begin that chapter. John chapter 12, verses nine, uh, 1 through 9. We'll read it and then we'll comment and bring to conclusion our words. In John 12, beginning at verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, which would be the time of His death, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom He raised from the dead. There they made Him a supper, and Martha served. Still serving, thank God, but I think she's learned something now. 
But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that He was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom He had raised from the dead. Now notice here, although the words are not specifically, she's at His feet, where is she? She's at His feet. Because she is doing what? She's anointing the feet of Jesus with that ointment of spikenard and then wiping His feet with her hair. That's hard to wipe feet with hair, I believe. I've never done it, but I'm going to surmise this. It's hard to wipe feet with your hair unless you're at His feet. But here again, she's at His feet. And here, brothers and sisters, I would say we see worship. But also we see destiny. This woman takes some very expensive ointment. Judas appraises it at about a year's wages, 300 penny or 300 denarii. As he does that, he's betraying his own heart to say basically what he has already come to conclusion about. He's going to go to the chief priest. He's going to say, what, do you, what will you give me for him? They'll say 30 pieces of silver. He said, sold. You see, he valued Jesus much more... Uh, m- 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 much more less. That's not good English, right? He valued Jesus much less. I believe he'd have sold him for cheaper if he'd had to. He took the first offer. If they'd offered him less, he might have sold him for less. He looks at Jesus and he says, He's not worth this. But Mary looks at him and said, He's worth more than this. Because I believe Mary's bestowal of that ointment was her proclamation that my destiny is to be like this ointment, poured out and spilled forth at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's her heart. That's a declaration that her destiny now is tied up with the Lord Jesus Christ so that she's going to be as she knew He was going to be for her. This is six days before the Passover. He is going to die on this Passover. He is going to be the Passover lamb for her. She knows that just as He is going to pour Himself out for her, that she's going to respond in kind. She's going to say, I want to be poured out for you, Lord Jesus. I want my life to be your life. I want your life to be lived in me. I want to be what I should be. And that means for me that as an act of worship, I'm giving myself along with this spikenard to you. What does Romans 12, 1 tell us, brothers and sisters? As Paul brings to conclusion that great teaching about our justification, our sanctification, our election, Romans 1 through 11, he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable 
which is your reasonable service. And in effect, that's what I believe Mary is doing here. She's laying herself along with that spikenard at the feet of the Lord Jesus to say, Lord, just as you're going to lay down your life for me, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Now drop down with me to John 12 and notice what our Savior says later in this chapter. In verse 23, we'll pick up without any background there, but notice please, again, John 12 verse 23, And Jesus answered them, there were those who'd come to see Him among the Greeks. They wanted to see Jesus. They tell Philip. Philip tells Andrew. And this is how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, that is a grain of wheat, a kernel fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Now here the Lord Jesus is speaking about His own death, but as He speaks about His own death, He connects it to what we're required as disciples. He says, unless a corn, a kernel, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. In order to germinate, that grain has to die. And it goes through a death, what happens? New life springs forth. Christ saying that's what's going to happen. These Greeks wanted to see Him. We would see Jesus. They tell Philip. Philip gets Andrew. They go to Jesus. And He tells them that through His death He's going to draw all men to Him. I be lifted up, he'll say later in verse 32, I'll draw all men to me. But as he speaks about himself as that grain of wheat that's going to bring forth much fruit as as he dies, a harvest of the nations, he then turns that to us and says, if any man would, would, would follow me, serve me, let him follow me. In other words, you and I are called as his people to follow him and sacrifice just like he sacrifice for us. And that, brothers and sisters, is what Mary saw in John chapter 12 when she took that spikenard. Now, Judas criticized her. He wasn't alone. The other Gospels tell us that there were others among the disciples who raised their voice to criticize her too. But notice the Lord Jesus' words in verse 7. Jesus said, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. He says, she's anointed my body for the burial. Now what's interesting about that? Well, in the Gospels, when they bury Jesus in Joseph Arimathea's tomb there, it is the preparation day, but it's fast coming to a close. What followed preparation? Sabbath. What could you do on the Sabbath? So what did they have to do about anointing his body? Well, they had to wrap it up, put it away. Now, now uh, Joseph and, and Nicodemus, they had the, the wrapping, they put spice in with it, but the ladies did not get to anoint it. So what did they do? They marked where it was laid. And they said, well, we'll come back early after the Sabbath and we'll anoint him. We'll come back early on the first day. But guess what? They didn't get that privilege. 
Because you can't anoint a dead man who's made the, who's come back to life. And all they could find was grave clothes, empty grave clothes. Why? Because he's alive. Who was the only one of the women who anointed his body for the burial in reality? Mary. And who was not there on that first day morning? Mary. She'd already done it. She knew what? I'm convinced she drunk at his feet. Those words in which she said, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to get up. She drunk at his feet. Those words, and she said, I'm going to have to do this ahead of time. Because if I don't do it ahead of time, I'm not going to get to do it. In other words, she knew the resurrection to life. Though he checked into Joseph's tomb, he was going to check out just as surely as he checked in. Hallelujah. And he's gone. Gone over death trump. Gone. Sin is defeated. Gone. Shout he lives forevermore. He's alive. And Mary's life is a testament to that fact. Brothers and sisters, I guess there's one thing that I see when I look at Mary. And that is, David Morris, may your song be, look for me at Jesus' feet. Let me be found there, brothers and sisters. With the Word, with the witness, and with the worship. Let me in discipleship, even in the face of death, and as my destiny, let me be found at the feet of Jesus. Because that's the only place where life is really worth living. May God grant us to do that by His grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask You to bless Your Word. Benefit our souls, we pray, Father. And may we love Thy Son more than ever before by Thy grace. We pray in His worthy name with thanksgiving. Amen. If you would, take your song book and turn to page 342. Stand and ask for sing. Take time to be holy. 
evening too. And the truth was preached in some too. And we thank the Lord for our dear brethren from the Gospel Games Church too. And I thank the Lord for not just preachers. I know a lot of preachers, but I don't know a lot of pre- preachers are pastors. They're real pastors. And I know Brother King wants his pastor's heart. And I would like to ask him to lead us in a pleasant work for us. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to get out tonight to your house. I thank you for your people, Lord. We love your people. And Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing, all you've done. You know, you never, you never slowed down. You never stopped loving us. You never stopped caring for us. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we need you today, Lord. And how we need to just be at your feet today. Lord, with all that's going on around us, Lord, it's easy to get distracted and, and get comforted about. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for the message, for reminder. Lord, we need to slow down, Lord, and do that one thing. And I know it can fix my heart, Lord. I'm just so busy right now. And I, I'm sorry. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart. And I pray you spoke to others. And Lord, how we need you today. Lord, we need you more than ever. Yes. And God, you never, uh, you knew all along we needed you. And you've done all these things just to kindly, graciously to draw, draw us to yourself. As she was a Martha, you were so kind and gracious. Martha, Martha. And I can hear you saying, Ken, Ken. And you called others' name tonight, so it's just so softly, so tenderly. Drawing us back to yourself, and thank you. Lord, you are altogether lovely. Yes. And God, how beautiful you are. Oh, oh thank you. Bless you. Oh, thank you for letting us have a part in your service, Lord. What a, what a blessing it is to serve you. And I pray, Lord, you speak to others now, Lord, that do not see the truth we see so clearly. And Lord, the lost. They're in a lost and dying world, Lord. And Lord, we need to we need to send send the word. We need to do our part. We need to be Martha's. We need to be Mary's. Yes. And Lord, we just need to be more like Him. Lord, we just need you today. We thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray you continue to bless this church. Lord, I pray, Lord, you lead them in the, the way of a pastor. Be your will. Well, may just be that you're coming back tomorrow, mm-hmm. and there's no need. So, I thank you. Lord, I, I'm looking for you coming. Yes. But Lord, I thank all of those that are not ready. My family members and others here have family members, loved ones. And we thank of those tonight. So Lord, I pray you just help us to go our ways. Lord, I pray we never forget these thoughts. Lord, help us to stay in your word. Help us to love as Brother David said. Lord, help us to renew that love for the word of God. And Lord, if we want to hear from you today, we're going to have to look in that word. So we thank you today, all you've done. I, I thank you. Going to continue to work. I, I just, I just believe you. I just trust you tonight. Mm-hmm. And thank you for all, all these things. Lord, help us now. Get us home safely. Back to the next point in time. And, and we thank you for all these things. We pray now, Lord, in the wonderful name.